Good day, everyone. I'm Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. Today I'm returning to my circle of knowledge theory. Learn it, then do it, then teach it. When I finished vet school and passed the California State Boards, my 10-year vision came to fruition. And finding a job in Paso Robles brought me into the second part of my life cycle of knowledge, the do-it phase. I was ready and eager to apply the knowledge I'd mastered. That's why I'm celebrating the event with the song, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? One of the tunes Mary sang in the Leaner, Lunker, and Betsy band. This has been fun. We always used to end the night with this song, so we figured we might as well try and sneak it in tonight. It's an all jam. I was standing on the roadside on a cold and cloudy day. And I heard her She was gone. All my brothers, my sisters crying for a home so sad and low.
I was only in my new job two days before Dr. Brandt took off to enjoy the 4th of July weekend. Telling him I felt confident handling the large animal calls, he handed me the keys to the vet truck. I was on my way, on my own, and excited to fulfill my future. Chapter 21. The New Veterinarian Immediately after graduation, I started my job in Paso Robles. I was contracted to work 40 hours a week, taking emergency calls for extra pay. I was looking forward to applying my learning to real-life problems, and was even more eager to start making some money. The job was challenging, but I was undaunted. I began working July 1st, 1982. Dr. Brandt was leaving town in three days for the July 4th weekend. He arranged with another clinic to take his small animal calls and asked me if I would be comfortable doing the large animal calls. He offered me the use of a specially designed truck for ambulatory calls. I had taken the large animal track in vet school, so I was comfortable handling large animal problems. I replied I could do the task. He gave me the keys to the truck. I was flush with pride and anticipation. For me, being able to drive a vet truck was akin to being a movie star in a limousine. The weekend was busy. I was ready to work during a holiday when most vets would not work, and the answering service referred eight calls to me during the three-day weekend. I drove all over a 50-mile radius, starting with a horse colic and a Tascadero. The owner called me out because the gelding quit eating and was lying down, rolling back and forth on his back to relieve his bellyache. I instructed the owner to keep walking the horse at the end of a lead rope until I arrived. Driving up, I could see the gelding with his head down. His eyes dull, he was preoccupied with his painful abdomen. He occasionally kicked up at his belly, and then his legs buckled as he dropped to the ground, rolling to relieve the pain. I gave him a sedative right away, as I needed him to be somewhat still to examine him. I gave him the injection in the jugular vein, and had the owner hold the lead rope tight. To perform a rectal exam to diagnose the pain, I grabbed an arm-length plastic glove from the truck and pulled it over my right arm. Spreading copious amounts of lubricant onto the glove, I pushed my arm inside the rectum. A horse's ordinary fecal material is pliable, like Play-Doh, easily squished when the intestines are squeezed. I pulled some feces from the rectum and saw it was hard and dry. Going back in, I felt a hard, dense mass in the ventral descending colon, verifying my suspicions of impaction colic. What's impaction colic? the man asked. An impaction colic occurs when feed becomes stuck in a part of the large colon. The longer the impaction remains, the drier the fecal ball becomes. What can you do? I'm going to oil his intestines, so hard feces comes out easier, and I'm giving him drugs to stop the pain and help restart normal gut movements. Using a pump and a nasogastric tube, I pushed an entire gallon of mineral oil into the gelding's stomach. My next call was 30 miles north. Mrs. Smith, on Smith Road, in Bradley, wanted me to suture up a laceration her mare sustained when she ran into a barbed wire fence after something spooked her. She had a 12-inch gash on the front of her shoulder. I sedated the horse with a combination of acepromazine and rompum, injected into the jugular vein, using a local anesthetic, lidocaine, to deaden nerves next to the cut. I cleaned the wound, slathering the surgical soap well. After carefully shaving the hair with a blade razor, I sutured it together with thick nylon sutures, then gave the horse a tetanus booster and antibiotics. Wow, this place is gorgeous, I told her, scanning the rock oak studded area. Smith Road is on a plateau above the Nascimento River, Doc, Mrs. Smith explained. I smiled when I heard someone call me Doc. 
Walking to the rocky outcropping above the river, I noticed many ten-inch round depressions cut into the rock. What are these? Were they formed by the water currents? No, those are grinding bowls for acorns from the oak trees, Doc. The Chumash Indians lived here and ground acorns to make flour and meal. These grinding bowls show how important the spot was for the community. My final call on my first day of emergency was to look at another colicky horse. As in any colic, this fellow was quite uncomfortable. He had gone off his feed, was pacing around agitated, and was squirting green liquid feces. Performing a rectal palpation on him gave me an instant diagnosis. My hands felt like they were digging into wet sand at the beach. This horse has sand colic, I said. How can you tell? I can feel the coarse sand when I do my rectal exam. Here. I went back inside the rectum with my gloved hand and pulled out a handful of the sample, carried it over to my bucket and threw it in. Stripping off my palpation sleeve, I added water to the bucket and swirled the feces with water mixture. Watch this, I said carefully dumping the green water from the bucket. What are you showing me? Wait till all the water's gone. Watch. See how much sand is at the bottom of the bucket? And that's just one handful of manure. No wonder he's so uncomfortable. You would be too if you had that much sand irritating your bowels. What causes it? He's eating off the ground. With every bite, he also pulls in some sand from the ground, and now the sand needs to be removed from his intestines. How? Mineral oil, painkillers, antispasmatics, and psyllium flakes. You need to buy the fellow a feeder that hangs on the fence. Get the hay off the ground. That's the most important thing you can do. Next, buy a bag of psyllium flakes at the feed store and a bag of grain or pellets and mix the psyllium with the concentrates. It expands in the gut and picks up the sand grains so he can poop it out. Now I'm going to give him a gallon of oil by the stomach tube. It lubes the gut wall, giving his irritated bowel lining a measure of relief, and I'm giving painkiller shots to make him more comfortable. When the 4th of July weekend was over, I settled into Dr. Brandt's practice. I was a bit disappointed at first because his office did mostly small animal medicine, and after a busy July 4th weekend, large animal calls tapered off drastically. Still, I developed protocols to help me work the dog and cat cases up in a logical manner. Besides these step-by-step -step sequences, I also needed to be familiar and comfortable doing specific diagnostics. An ear exam, for example, is one of the most common procedures in doggy medicine. But using an otoscope to accomplish the chore depends on a lot of outside variables the examiner must handle simultaneously. An exam starts with being able to examine the ear. The dog needs to be still long enough for the vet to grab an ear, lift the flap, and penetrate the ear canal with the otoscope. An otoscope contains a lighted headpiece and a plastic cone fits on it. Holding the otoscope in my right hand, I pulled on the dog's ear with my left hand, carefully advancing the cone of the scope into the canal. Some dogs will not stand still for even this much of an ear check and need to be sedated. Advancing the scope will show the problem. It's usually a foxtail, ear mites, or a chronic yeast infection. Even for the most ordinary ear tissue, removing a foxtail from an ear canal took time for me to master because I needed to manipulate the otoscope and alligator forceps simultaneously. I am right-handed, so I start the exam by pushing the otoscope in with my right hand. If I see a foxtail, I reposition, carefully switching the otoscope to my left hand. With my eye glued to the otoscope magnifying lens, which is focused on the foxtail, I work the alligator forceps onto the fingers of my right hand carefully pushing the jaws of the forceps inside the otoscope cone. I slowly advance until the open jaws of the forceps touch a part of the foxtail. Then I close the forceps, usually retrieving the foxtail. 
There are inherent difficulties with this approach. If the alligator forceps go too deep into the ear canal, the eardrum could be ruptured. Success also depends on the person assisting. I need the dog held securely to stop him from squirming or moving his head. An improper grip is irritating because we have to reposition and restart the sequence. A helper who is comfortable holding the animal correctly is indispensable here. I also needed pointers on doing dog spays and dog castrations. Castrations are relatively straightforward. Once anesthetized, the technician shaves the hair off the testicles. Ready for surgery, I make an incision into the scrotum, manually extracting the testes. Once the vas deferens and the testicular artery and vein are isolated, they are tied off or ligated. The testicle can be cut from the vessels and removed, and the bleeding stopped by ligatures, ties that go around a blood vessel to prevent the oozing. Simple interrupted throws of a monofilament suture material close the skin, and the dog is allowed to recover. Dr. Brandt showed me I was cutting too far back into the scrotum, which could cause a healing problem because the skin is so thin up in that spot. He advised me to make the incision more towards the middle of the belly, where the surface was thicker, and the sutured skin was more apt to heal correctly. Dog spays are harder than castrations. The surgeon must enter into the abdominal cavity, digging deep into the organs to locate each of the two ovaries. Once identified, the ovary must be freed from its ligament and pulled outside the incision to clamp off the ovarian pedicle. Once the pedicle is isolated, ligatures need to be placed around the ovarian artery to stop bleeding when the pedicle is cut to extract the ovary. The body of the uterus is pulled out from the belly next through the incision site, and the uterine arteries coursing along each side of the uterine neck also need to be ligated before the uterus is pulled free of its attachments. Close attention to every detail is imperative. If any of these ligatures are not tied securely, the dog can die by slowly bleeding into her abdominal cavity. One of the spays I performed was not waking up from anesthesia. Dr. Brandt checked the dog out. Lifting the dog's lip, he saw her gums were white because there was little blood left in the blood vessels. The dog was bleeding out. He showed me how to find the bleeder by going back into my incision and teaching me how to search for a dropped pedicle, the source of the bleed. It was a typical newbie mistake. I hadn't ligated the right ovarian artery tight enough, and now the thing was spurting blood inside the abdominal cavity every time the dog's heart contracted. Over the next month, I developed more confidence in handling different cases by this trial and error method. However, the real sense of my talents improved when I was forced to run the practice alone for two weeks. In August, just six weeks after I started work, Dr. Brandt and his wife left for a trip to Israel. Usually, August is a slow month but there were some days when the Tex and I worked hard throughout the entire day. We did an excellent job for the most part. I was proud and excited. I could manage the hospital myself. I did stumble during one workup. An ancient Chihuahua male dog came in. The owners reporting their old man was acting constipated. Deciding to give him an enema, I set up a bag of warm medicated water to help dissolve a fecal ball. But I inadvertently pushed the enema device through his rectal wall and flooded his abdomen with enema solution killing the fellow. I was in a panic. I called Dr. Brandt's close friend on the other side of town. Dr. J came right over and took control of the situation. The dog had never been castrated, developing a large tumor on his prostate gland as a result. The growth of the mass caused the dog to strain his bowels as if he were constipated. Because the mass pushed into the pelvic canal, I punctured the rectum when I inserted the enema device. If I had done digital rectal palpation, I would have immediately realized a tumor and not constipation was the problem. 
The old dog was already terminal because of his cancer, but I had hastened the demise. Dr. J talked with the owners who accepted the fact little could have been done to help the poor guy anyway. It all ended okay, but I felt terrible about it. My youthful appearance did not help my doctor persona. There were times I went out to a farm call in a vet truck. Pulling up, I'd barely get out of the truck when the farmer yelled to me, Where's the vet? I am the vet, I'd reply, walk over, and take control of the problem. I was called out to take care of a cow dystocia one afternoon. The caller was an old rancher. He told me to drive up Highway 46 past the James Dean Memorial and take a left to follow Highway 41. His gate was a green one on the left side of the road about two miles past the memorial. After going through the gate, I was supposed to follow the road a quarter mile into the hills. No one had cell phones at that time, so when I counted off two miles, all I could see was an old rusty gate. I continued driving the highway, but the hills became too steep for access, so I turned around and went through the old rusty gate. As I made my way down the dirt road, I saw a downed cow with people around her. I got out of the truck and heard the usual, where's the vet jokes. I've been waiting here a long time, the fellow began complaining. Did you have another call? No, the gate isn't green, it's rusty brown, I told the fellow as I was pulling on my coveralls. I thought I just painted it last year, he said. I walked over to the cow, she was lying on her side. Donning a sleeve, I probed her uterus and felt an enormous head stuck in the birth canal. Evidently, the calf had been dead a day or so, and was becoming dry. Bacteria entered the skin, causing a subcutaneous region under the skin to swell with gas. We call that an epicimidous calf. The combination of deadness, bacterial overgrowth, and loss of lubrication caused this weak calf to become stuck in the birth canal. The calf was too puffy and dry to pull from mom without some fancy tools. It needed to be cut up inside the cow and pulled out in pieces. I went to the truck to retrieve the fetidome, a device with two 24-inch long metal tubes welded together. Passing a coarse wire through one of the cells, I manipulated it under the calf's body and around his neck. I was going to saw his head off. With the wire circling the neck, I grabbed the end and threaded it back up the open phototomy tube. Ready? I asked the rancher. I showed him how to use specially designed handles to grip the jiggly wire. One handle held the right cable and another the other wires as it came from the second tube. Placing such holds on the wire created a firm grip with the jiggly. I kept my hand on top of the fetatome to maintain proper position of the wire as it sawed through the soft bones of the neck. Start pulling back and forth on the wires, I instructed the fellow. The cable would seesaw back and forth through the fetal body, cutting it apart for easier removal. Soon, the wire cut through the neck, and I removed the head from the calf. I needed to do a similar cut on the front right leg, and that went well too. Now, with the leg and head removed, the rest of the calf was small enough to be extracted. After we pulled it out, I placed two large antibiotic capsules into the uterus and gave the cow a penicillin injection. I left two more penicillin dosages with the rancher and instructed him to give them to the cow each day until she was up and about. After that, there was no way to catch her up again until roundup time. Soon she'd be gone up into the hills with the rest of the cattle. End of chapter. Thank you, Brian, for narrating Chapter 21 in Fear of Failure, my autobiography. I'm adding the next song, The Bug in the Windshield, to my list because it explains the swings between proud satisfaction versus feelings of failure, as some of my early cases didn't go as planned. This next one we're going to do is one that I picked, and 
The main reason I picked it is because my husband has is it two or three Mary Chapin Carpenter tapes in your truck. And every time I get in that truck, this song seems to be on there, so I think he likes it a lot, so we're going to do it. It's either that or he's trying to get you to wash the front of it a little bit more. I'm not sure which. <laughs> you, uh, You'll get it in a minute. You'll understand that one in a second. Make a mistake. Sometimes you're the windshield. Sometimes you're the bug. Sometimes it all comes together, baby. Sometimes you're a fool in love. Sometimes you're the Louisville slugger, baby. Sometimes you're the ball. Sometimes it all comes together, baby. Sometimes you're gonna lose it all. You gotta know happy, you gotta know glad Cause you're gonna know lonely and you're gonna know sad When you're ripping and roaring and a coming on strong You start slipping and a sliding and it all goes wrong Because sometimes you're the windshield Sometimes you're the bug Sometimes it all comes together, baby Sometimes you're a fool in love Sometimes you're the Louisville slugger, baby Sometimes you're the ball Sometimes it all comes together, baby Sometimes you're gonna lose it all And then you got nine One day you're a diamond And then you're stone Everything can happen In the blink of an eye So let the good times roll Till we say goodbye Sometimes you're the windshield Sometimes you're the bug Sometimes it all comes together, baby Sometimes you're a fool in love Sometimes you're the Louisville slugger, baby Sometimes you're the ball Sometimes it all comes together, baby Sometimes you're gonna lose it all Sometimes you're the windshield Sometimes you're the buzz Sometimes it all comes together, baby Sometimes you're a fool in love Sometimes you're the Louisville
Mary, your songs quicken my focus, warm my heart, and bring a smile to my face. I'm sending warm vibes to the mates of the Leaner Lunker and Betsy Band. Thank you, Joe and Rick. And thank you, folks, for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and click on Fear of Failure. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site ACX. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. Tune in next week to follow me as I blunder my way into the do-it stage.